0: Onyx is one of those must-have pieces of hunting gear. Now, it's not a physical piece of hunting gear. It is an app that you download to your phone, and it allows you to view topographic maps, digital imagery, and it allows you to leave waypoints and basically breadcrumbs and collect data of all the properties that you hunt. So, real quick, this is how I used Onyx uh, this year, specifically on my South Dakota hunt so we knew where we needed to glass. So we we had camp. That was a waypoint. And in the dark, we had to basically walk 1.3 miles in the dark in terrain that I had never been in. And when you can have a map up on your phone and basically put together a strategy of the path of least resistance to that glassing point, I was able to navigate better in the dark. Then once we got to our glassing point, the sun came up and we started seeing deer movement. I was able to then put together another plan of how to get from the glassing point to the location where we started seeing deer. And the entire time I was documenting that hike. Hey, there's some water here in case I need it. Hey, here's where I saw a mule deer here. Here's where I might a glass the next day and just basically documenting everything and allowing yourself to have the most information at your fingertips and it's just one of those things that i think is uh, has has no value because it's so important and uh, onyx does that and the best part about all of it is you don't need 4g to use the app right you can save an app or save a map to the app And then you can use your phone's GPS to navigate that map. And uh, again, just a really awesome piece of equipment that I would recommend to any hunter, whether you hunt 40 acres of private or on 33,000 acres of uh, public uh, there is a function for every hunter. So if you want to find out more information, visit onyxmaps.com or visit the App Store and download today. And when you purchase, enter the discount code NATION20, N two zero, and all first-time users will save 20%.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you.
2: All right, Jason, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing?
1: Good, man. How are you?
2: Not too bad. Good, good. Living the dream.
1: Living the dream up in Michigan. Is it, uh, how, how snowy, how wintery is it today?
2: Uh, it's not too bad. It's snow, some snow on the ground, not very much unusual for this time of the year up here.
1: Right. We we actually had a little bit of snow on the ground earlier this week. Now it's all gone, of course, but um did not feel like southern Missouri. We don't hardly get any snow, but I know that's a much different story from you guys um, up in your area, which kind of brings us into the discussion of managing deer and habitat in Michigan. That that's kinda like the if we're give this podcast a topic or a theme, that's that's what we want to do because you have some great insight to be able to share with listeners, um, over the course of several years in managing a property, um and having a lot of success on it. So I'll let you kinda take it from here and and um May discuss how we how we met, how we kind of got started, work with each other, and then we'll just uh, hit it off.
2: Okay. Well, we bought this property um, a couple years ago and really didn't do much the first few years. Wanted to kind of just get a lay of the land and get a feel for things rather than just firing up the chainsaw and getting after it before really trying to think things through. Um, and listening to your guys' podcast over the year, wanted to... Get someone with more who is more knowledgeable than I than I am, and you know thought along the same lines, and really liked what you guys had to offer and your input on a lot of things, and have since brought you guys up here and try to try am trying to implement a lot of what we discussed and went over, and um, yeah, just, there's a lot to do. And lots of working
1: on <laughs> there there's always a a lot to do so so given your location let's say west western uh central Michigan that the general region you know when when you bought the farm, did your farm look really any different from the surrounding landscape that you know was there like a defining feature or anything habitat wise that you're like oh man that's that's just the place that i that I need or I'm looking for um you know, is there anything that separates it when you bought it from the surrounding area?
2: Yeah, the biggest thing that I really like is I am, the, for the most part, the cover surrounded by ag. Mm-hmm. Got so it. this is the hub where the deer go, um, and they, they live here for the most part. But the the other thing that I really like about it is I really don't have a lot of road frontage right my parcels are has a little bit of road furniture but for the most part it's tucked back in the woods and i don't have to deal with people shining or which is legal up here or being nosy other than my immediate neighbors so it's not people just can't drive by and see what i'm doing out
1: here so i mean everyone everyone knows and we'll kind of give you a chance to review some of the season dates and, and everything and hunter numbers up in Michigan but Michigan's a state where um, humongous hunter numbers I think it's uh, second to I it's in the top three Pennsylvania Wisconsin and and Michigan top three um, states for licensed deer hunters and um, you know pressure is one of those things that you have to have to deal with and um, set up a property appropriately to be able to handle that pressure when you have goals of harvesting (laughs) older age class deer, which that was kind of what you came to us with is, hey, I'd, I'd like to see exactly what we can do with this property because I'd like to harvest four and a half year old deer and older. So what, what do we need to start with? But so kind of break down the seasons real quick for Michigan and, and the things that you may be dealing with um, in an area that is definitely high pressure from hunters.
2: Um, first thing I will say is uh, I am not from Michigan originally. So when I moved here, I was disclaimer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My mind is kind of blown with the amount of pressure that is truly put on these deer up here. I mean, we have really high deer numbers, Mm -hmm. but the hunting culture up here is different than what I was used to back home in Nebraska. It's just, um, People up here don't really shoot does. Mm-hmm. There's a two buck limit. The seasons are extremely long. They start with, um, first there's a youth season and, uh, that's in September. And then October 1st starts with bow. Then it goes into, um, November 15th, opening day of gun season that runs for two weeks back into bow season. And then muzzleloader season opens which in our unit, since we are now in a CWD um, observation zone right during muzzleloader, you can use rifles or straight walled cartridge I think, r- yep. uh, rifles. So that season runs for another few weeks and then it goes right into antlerless gun season. So when it's all said and done, there's a 45 day gun season going on wow. where the DNR is almost encouraging everything to get killed and, a lot of people up here really like to shoot their bucks. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. The number I mean the number of hunters around here is is mind blowing.
1: It's definitely Every, a deer camp atmosphere, which which is a cool thing to be to be a part of, I'm sure. Uh, but it, it does present other challenges when you have certain goals of, of shooting large I mean, you know, older age class deer.
2: Yeah. And like we've we've have a little we have a co-op up here mm-hmm. and that's really nice cuz a lot of guys are are think along the same lines but the problem is so many of us are so spread out that we're all sure. are on our own little island so Be, know, because tra- of the
1: parcel sizes typically in in Michigan what what would you say most most guys are honey when it comes to property size in 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 your co-op there
2: in my co-op it's probably either a 40 or an 80
1: okay Yep. So, so no just large contiguous blocks of land that, that really, you know, one owner or one small couple groups of guys are hunting, you know, you've got 40s and 80s with several hunters on them potentially, um, you know, stacked on, stacked on, stacked on top of each other.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then they're right on the line and everybody's other property is greener and Better on the other side, of course. Sure,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Um, so this year, you harvested <laughs> a great buck. I would say you you probably accomplished the the goal. Not that it's just one and done, right? But you you harvested a really great deer in Michigan. Um, kind of break break down. Let's say the the story of that deer lead us into the hunt, and then we'll kind of backtrack a little bit and get more into the actual management side of things as to what's been done on the property uh, since we visited with you and why you were able to have the success that you had in harvesting this deer.
2: Mm-hmm. So I've, uh this deer that I shot this year, he was a uh, four and a half year old. I've had pictures of him and seen him on the farm for the past few years since he was two. That's when I first noticed him because he had a unique brow tine. And I don't even really keep track of the two-year-olds. I only kind of start keeping track of deer when they're a three-and-a-half-year-old up here. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I don't even want to get my hopes up because I know they're <laughs> going to get killed.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. So last year, this this particular deer, he was a 10-point a with couple extra stickers on them and probably about 140 inch deer really really nice deer for up here and that was kind of where I set my goals moving out here was if I could hunt 140 inch deer yep every few years I'm hopefully like three and a half or older um I would be happy with that I think that was a realistic goal yeah absolutely so last year I hunted this deer and I had multiple occasions where I had them in at under 20 yards and couldn't get a shot at him. Wow. Um, then I finally was able to put a shot on this deer, but he was uh, in some brush and I didn't get any penetration and he survived. So I kept getting pictures of him the rest of the year. In the meantime, I went to Iowa hunting and shot a Boone and Crockett out there. Ooh. And when I came back to Michigan, I had another chance at this 140 inch deer with a gun and I it was probably beginning of December when this happened and I decided you know what as much as I see you around here and I think you're gonna make it because most of the pressure is right during that first few weeks of gun season
1: sure sure
2: so I let him go I kept getting pictures of him and then um, he made it through the season and vanished and I didn't get any pictures of him at all this this past year, when he was a four and a half year old, I didn't know if he was dead, hit by a car, like like no through idea.
1: the through the summer time frame, spring and summer, no pictures. Correct. Yep.
2: So he finally decided to show up during the youth's the weekend of the youth season, and when I was out with my six year old, trying to get him his first buck, and yep, I don't think I could have mentally kept it together if that deer would have walked out in front of us. <laughs> Um, but he showed up and once he showed up, he didn't leave. He was here every single day. I had pictures of him right behind the barn. Yep. Just nonstop. And it was all I could think about. And you can ask my wife how stressed (laughs) out I was over this year, knowing that what goes on around me, just the the number of people, he could just take a wrong turn and get shot. You never know. Definitely. So, and,
1: he, and a lot of that activity though was at nighttime, even though he was on your property, it was still kind of cover of darkness, dawn, dusk hours, correct?
2: Yeah. He didn't come out into daylight. I mean, I I have a lot of cameras up around my property and he didn't start showing himself until towards the end of October mm-hmm. during daylight, but I, all my cell phone cameras yep. would be right. Um, after dark or right before sun up. And he was in the areas where I thought he liked to bed. Sure. So he, um, yeah, he was always around. i there's multiple times where he would be, I'd see him. I caught him a few weeks before or a week before I shot him. I saw him on the hoof yeah. and that was exciting. Um,
1: you sent me but, a, you sent me a small little video of trail cameras. I believe it was like a sequence of a doe came. You, you walked into the food plot, and then you hunted. You walked out. A doe comes to the camera right after you leave, and then he's like right behind five minutes after you left or so, you know something silly like that.
2: Yeah, and then come to find out he was there that morning, and that oh, was wow. the first time I got a picture of him in daylight was in this food plot. Mm-hmm. I wasn't hunting the food plot. I was hunting maybe 80 yards into the woods off the food plot, okay. and he was bedded on the other side of me. So we were probably 100 Fifty yards from each other that it. day. Yep, so it was close.
1: Cat, cat and mouse a little bit back and forth, but you you were narrowing down kind of the search and uh, were finally able. I guess what was the the straw that broke the camel's back in harvesting them?
2: Um. Well, the we had a weather front coming in. Okay. And it was it was a real high pressure day and tree rut was kicking in, and it was supposed to really start downpouring around four o'clock, and right. I went out at two o'clock that day that afternoon um got up into a tree stand and i really like this spot it was it was actually like 50 yards from where i shot him the year prior oh, okay gotcha and i'm sitting up in this tree and i wasn't feeling good about it because i just felt exposed since right. they we did a timber harvest um a couple months earlier all of a sudden this tree is in the wide open
1: sure yeah
2: so i'm sit- i'm sitting there and i decided to move my tree stand during the middle of the hunt and I swung it around the backside of the tree and bold get set move, up cotton. what that?
1: I said bold move cotton.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I get it I turned like around it. and now I've got a bunch of cover behind me with some beech leaves and yep. I'm sitting there for maybe a half an hour and it just starts to rain. And I just happen to look over my shoulder and that deer is walking right at me and he's 25 yards away. Oh, yeah. So, if I were facing the other way, I would have saw him coming. Sure. I grabbed my bow, turned around, shot him, and then it just started downpouring. And it happened so fast, I didn't know if I made a good shot or a bad shot. So, I elected to back out of there and got a a group of guys together for the next morning. And we went out and we started kind of combing the woods because there was no blood. We had, I think, a couple inches of rain that night. Jeez.
1: Yeah kind of the the worst case scenario
2: yeah yeah it wasn't good but we ended up coming going walking north and south and he ended up running straight west and we ran into him and he ran maybe 175 yards oh gotcha gotcha perfect so he was slightly quartering too yep and took out his lungs it was a better shot than i thought in the moment sure and yeah Found him, and my wife was happy because my hunting can now be done, and my obsessing was all done.
1: <laughs> right, right. How how big did this deer kind of tape out more than what you thought? Uh, was he bigger once you got to him and got your hands on him than, than kind of what you're expecting from cameras?
2: No, he was actually smaller than I was expecting. Okay. Um, he was a he's a six by six. Yeah. With um, a drop tine and a kicker, but he was very narrow. Gotcha. Right. He didn't, he didn't have any width, and he taped out at 163, Whew. which for up here is stellar. I mean, you just don't come across them that often. They're here. There's great genetics up here, but what the gauntlet that they have to make it through is, you know, it's almost impossible.
1: It, it's track. very tough. It, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. And, and when you look at, the, let's say, <laughs> the potential from a, from a resource standpoint that is available in michigan um and I, I shouldn't just say just michigan because we talked about it on last week's podcast when we broke down west virginia and ohio but when you look at what's there and what you have let's say the, the dough to make the bread the dough is fantastic bread i mean fantastic mm-hmm. like you know the, the recipe is there but you, you don't ever get to make the bread or, or eat the bread because the bread dies at two and a half or, or, or yearling stage. And hey, that's, that, that is what it is. That's, that's re- regulations, hunter numbers. Glad that there's mm-hmm. a humongous n- number of, of hunters there and strong in the heritage and tradition. Um, but, if, but if those are your goals, then it does make it difficult. Um, but from a, from a resource standpoint, I, Michigan looks really, really good on what's growing there. Yeah. Mm. You had great success there, okay? We've seen this deer grow up, you kill them, you harvest them, but it's not just a, a hunt. you know you've put a ton, a ton of work into this property. Um, and we say it's, you know many of the species are good. You've actually had to deal with a lot of bad species or species that you don't want ones that we're terming invasive species. what have <laughs> what has been some of the most painstaking? management that you've done on the property um in the realm of invasives
2: that would be autumn olive (laughs) yes it it is everywhere and it is uh really tough to kill
1: man it is it is um Um, you said that you had a couple different techniques that you've been trying and and kind of paint the picture of just how much and, and and maybe how it started or spread there on on the property
2: well, that our, our property's surrounded by neighboring properties. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. People up here used to plant it, that with multiflora rows, and it's it's just everywhere. There's no, I'm not gonna get rid of it all. Right. I'm just gonna try my best to contain it. That's right. Over the years, um, and it was also planted on by the previous owners for cover, and it started with right behind our barn. There was a probably three acres of autumn olive and. Right when I first met you guys, it was – I just started using my tractor grapple, and I would go down, grab the root ball, and rip it out of the ground. Yep. For the most part, that worked. Um, There's a few spots where I can see it's growing back because that stuff just takes off like wildfire.
1: It is incredible how fast it grows.
2: If you cut that stuff, it just explodes. Yep. Um, So some of it worked. Some of it didn't. I got to go back in and start treating some of that. With a foliar
1: um, foliar application, right?
2: Yeah, and what I found for that is you got to spray everything.
1: You got. It, you have to.
2: If you don't, if you miss a branch, it's going to keep going. Yep. Um, we also did a prescribed fire this past year, and if the younger autumn olive, it would kill that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the bigger stuff, even stuff that was literally on fire. Is now stump sprouting with autumn olive. Oil.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Like it, so it's coming back. The young stuff it'll kill. The more mature stuff it will not kill.
1: it. Right. At least from the from the value of that prescribed fire, it resets it. So it takes all that energy and sends it into some new shoots. And it helps to concentrate if you come back with that foliar application, concentrate the the leaves in the surface area to collect herbicide. So instead of spraying, let's say uh, a bush that's the size of. Uh, a couch. Now, now you're spraying an area that's, um, much, much smaller, much smaller, <clears throat> very concentrated. So the herbicide becomes quite a bit more effective there, and you just use less herbicide. But man, it is aggressive stuff.
2: Yeah. And the last thing I did was I go around with a chainsaw, cut it down to the ground. Yep. And uh, treat it with a herbicide. Yep. And that seems to work, but it's just tough on the back to.
1: Well, and, and you, almost, you almost feel like on some of those, because of the way they grow, the shrub and just like this globe-like structure, you have to cut your way in just to be able to get in there. Then you've got four different stumps to cut out of the one. It's tough. It's work. I mean, it's, there's, oh, no, there's no doubt about that. I hate the stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you you probably hate with a passion more than most people because you, you've been actively doing it. But uh, I'd say definitely good for you. So what has been the response there from natives after the, um, has been removed or let's say managed.
2: Well, in this one particular area where there was three acres, um, I ended up with a buddy of mine going in and planting some, uh, warm season grasses and some mm-hmm. forbs. And it is amazing how the deer right next to a food plot of soybeans and corn surrounded by oats and crimson clover. They're over in that those forbs and grasses browsing. <laughs> Isn't that it funny? It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 we're so blinded, I think, truthfully, because there's let's say that the presence of grasses and forbs that that used to dominate the landscape, and a lot of Michigan. Um, A lot of people don't know, part of it was just oak savanna and prairie. Um, Mm -hmm. But man, that stuff was there and and now you're bringing it back, but able to see just that snapshot of a smaller little area of of how beneficial and and how wildlife key into something like that when you've got a food plot right next door or you had an area that was just straight up invasives um, that, that probably at some point was used for cover because cover's relatively limited in your area and it's at the right height but but now you've got cover and food in the same area that's the big difference
2: yeah and hunting smartly and staying out and i i try to stay out of my woods sure. like completely stay out leave these deer alone and it seems to work fantastic
1: so you mentioned it earlier but um... You said there's been some forestry work done on the place, specifically Mm -hmm. select cut across the whole farm. um, You had some trees of certain definitely value um, when we were there, kind of evaluate and saw. Um, So you had a lot of different potentials of of ways, let's say skin the cat, of uh, creating sunlight and getting sunlight back to the forest floor. Because when you kind of kicked off the podcast, you know, initially this farm was very attractive to you from the fact that, hey, there's there's a lot of ag in and around me, but this place has the ability for me to manipulate and put a lot of cover um, and hold potentially a lot of deer that might be utilizing that crop ground. But now getting in there and seeing, wow, it's, it is, say, a lot of closed canopy or was a lot of closed canopy, h- how how did you attack that? And how is this select cut and future harvest, timber harvests, how is that affecting the deer and, and the way that you're choosing to manage.
2: Well, there it's putting a lot, putting a lot of the tops on the ground has made a big difference in bedding and Mm -hmm. cover and screening for me. Um, I worked with a local forester who knows deer hunting. He knows what we're trying to do here and on our neighboring properties. He's worked with them. Um, So we're, I I mean, honestly, I wish we were to cut more trees. Sure. I want all the trees on the ground now. <laughs>
1: but That's, we, this is like a true statement of, of less is more, and we we talked about it uh, kind of pre show, pre podcast. But it was like y- you have to, from from a tree standpoint, like you, from a cover standpoint and a tree standpoint, like you're, it's like you have to remove the trees to actually get the cover that that actually matters. When you look at yeah. the aerial, it's like oh wow, that area could have could have some really good cover can going to be holding deer but at the right level it's just it's not even there it's not even present so when you're talking about cutting more trees more tops on the ground and more sunlight and that's what's going to be getting you what you want
2: well it's funny because there there was a timber harvest here i want to say it was maybe nine ten years ago yeah and actually it might have been less than that but you can see some of the areas that were cut. How quickly those canopies closed in. Oh yeah. And yeah. So the last owner was like, it didn't do what it what I wanted it to do, because it just closed up so fast. So nothing, no sun got to the ground. And then the areas that were more open, you see this little growth area where the sun is hitting, and it's really thick. And you're like, sure. ah, I want more, I want more of that. I want that everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's like a tease.
2: Yeah, and. Yeah, we've got a lot of oaks here on a certain side of the property and trying to somewhat manage those without going crazy but the areas with the popple the soft maples we're gonna we're just we're hammering those sure and they just they're never gonna amount to anything and I want this to be a good hunting property for my kids when they get older and so that's kind of how we're so trying when, to manage that
1: sure when, when you're talking about hammering them um, you know are you are you going back in and and doing any type of follow-up management um, after the harvest is done what does that look like for you
2: well what do you mean by follow-up management going in and cutting out the bad stuff and then try to do some crop tree release and stuff correct. like that correct yeah
1: things, yes. that, things yeah. that may have been missed
2: yeah anywhere if I what I deem, I'm no expert. I'm mm-hmm. just going off of what I'm trying to learn. Sure. If I'm seeing some, some sort of valuable timber, a hard maple, or some sort of oak, especially whites, because we don't have a lot of whites here. We have some bur oak, but the actual white oaks, they're few and far between. I'll try to let them go and give them some sunlight. Sure. Um, but we also have a lot of uh, white pine. Mm-hmm. And we have another crew coming in that's going to do a pulp cut, um, hopefully in the next year. Who right. knows when that take place? So that'll be more areas of the farm that are going to get wiped out, and hopefully grow back thick. And
1: so at the at this point, how many acres are you going to have um, of the timbered acres that will have a uh, some sort of forestry practice, whether you harvest from a select cut or the pulp wood cut? Um, how many acres are actually going to be touched and affected by that?
2: Everything. <laughs> I like
1: it. I like it. That's aggressive. There's, that's that's there's that's what you got to do.
2: Yeah, there's some areas that are just garbage soft maple that. Right. In talking to our forester, we're like, it's, it's never going to be anything ever. Right. It's you know multi shoot trunks and. Sure. We're like we're talking and it's like okay let's just clear cut that let's just whack it
1: let's just put some sunlight there. Let's just yeah. make it something that's that's valuable. And have have you noticed? Um, I know it's been just maybe a year's worth of regeneration in some of these areas, um, but the stump sprouts that come back, how how aggressive are deer uh, foraging on those?
2: Our deer numbers are so high; everything gets eaten out it's, here. It's hard. I,
1: yeah, you can't. You, you don't have that vertical vegetation coming back because it, uh, it's just getting pounded. So
2: it, yeah, before this was done, you could literally walk into the woods and kind of just bend over to about four feet and look all the way through the property.
1: Wow. Wow. Now, what does, now, what does that look like when you do um, that in the areas I've been select cut?
2: Now there's just, there's tops everywhere and I need to kind of push those around and move them where I want them because they're the deer just crawl up in them in bed and it's almost predictable where they're going to bed.
1: Sure. You can almost walk through and point to something. It, 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 it would basically be like a in, in our area um, or what should should be, let's say, in your area, portions of your area, shrubby cover. Areas yeah. where you have plum thickets. Now you have treetops and the deer are congregated in and around these areas or sumac groves. It's, it's no different. The cover is still the exact same from one to the other, but you just had to create it differently. Mm -hmm. So everything's going to be touched with, with a timber harvest here the next, next little bit. Um, But prior to actually having any timber work done with, with, I guess under your ownership, there were some areas that were open, I guess that had been clear cut before. And we had a lot of what looked like good, quality cover on the property um, you talked about it pre-show those areas were starting to mature starting to get um, very closed off so what what were you noticing from the deer observation honey observation how deer were utilizing them and then what management practice was recommended and followed up with and and how has that changed the way deer are using those areas
2: well these areas were Really overgrown with um, briars and were extremely thick. Um, a lot of autumn olive growing in them, and the, this is an area, one of these areas I burned this past spring. And how and, many
1: acres was that burn that you um, did?
2: It wasn't too big. It was our first burn mm-hmm. on this property, so you know, kind of little. Sure. it. Yeah. yeah. And then it was probably seven acres. Perfect. Yeah. And then after that I just started burning everything. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now I guess why why smaller did you, areas. Yeah, yeah. Smaller areas. Why did you start just burning everything after that? What what was it that it was like, okay, I, I want to test it, I wanna see it. What was the response that was like, This is awesome?
2: Um, just the flush of growth, seeing all that young growth getting uh, browsed on, the deer moved back into that area, deer are now browsing are betting in there. So Once so, again.
1: even even prior to you guys burning it and setting it back and and, and hitting that that reset button on on those areas, deer weren't betting in it. It was almost too thick or too choked out. Do you believe? Yes.
2: In the past few years, they stopped using it like they had prior, mm-hmm. and like there was the open areas really responded the best, sure. where it was full sunlight. Um, some of the areas with trees that were maybe between. I don't know, six and 12 foot tall. Mm-hmm. A lot of them survived. Right. And underneath there, you can see where it's open compared to where these trees are, how the difference in the understory is night and day. Certainly. So I'm going to have to go back in and start cutting some trees down over there. <laughs> but the there's a little false uh, confidence and burning. So there's sure. I've got a lot of trails in the property. Yeah. And some of the smaller ones, maybe an acre in size, I would just start slow when the weather was right and sure, just get more confident as I keep doing it. And yeah, now it's, I'm confident to start doing it again this year.
1: Absolutely. And, and you don't need to be convinced of the benefit at this point on, you you saw an area six acres that was, let's say mediocre in, in its habitat and offering, um, but now you reset it, you changed it. Uh, you didn't, and this is an important thing, you didn't plant anything, you didn't necessarily add any species, but the composition probably changed a little bit as you reset everything, more sunlight got in, um, deer activity skyrocketed, forage skyrocketed, and they're bedded back in there. So easy, easy uh, confirmation of, hey, I need to do this elsewhere. And you're going to yes. be able to do that a lot better and a lot more now that you actually have um, sunlight getting to the forest floor. Because if, if you weren't into those areas, tulip poplar um, and the maples, you wouldn't have been able to run a fire through there throughout much of the season, especially with your growing seasons, the way um, your climate is and how quickly that gets a, a closed canopy and holds moisture, retains moisture. You yeah, probably- there's a lot
2: of- There's a lot of water up here and a lot of areas that hold water, so nothing really ever truly dries out in some of these spots.
1: Right, but now you might be able to manage and manipulate those areas uh, a little bit more because you've actually opened up the canopy and getting cover on the ground that's going to truly carry a fire, dry out, and allow you to to manage it, where some areas would just avoid. Mm Mm-hmm. That's super exciting. So all in all, knowing the goals of the farm, they haven't changed, but seeing the development of the property over a couple years, what are some of the big takeaways for you as you're continuing to learn learn the property itself, but then also learn um, kind of the way, the way it responds to management? Um, what are some of those big takeaways for you?
2: Uh, the wildlife really appreciate it. <laughs> Yes, that's
1: that's beautifully put.
2: It's amazing how I can look across on the neighboring properties and talk to my neighbors who constantly text and ask me if I'm seeing deer. Yeah. And I go out and see 20 to 30 deer in a sit, which oh, wow. is way too many. Sure. But the deer know where they're safe. The deer know where all the good stuff is. They pile in here. And that's really my goal and it's fun for the kids and oh, totally learning all this is it's like a an obsession now it's kind of funny my <laughs> wife just makes fun of me for it <laughs> what,
1: what about what about and this, this is always one of those kind of like aha moments I guess um and, and you have a unique perspective coming from uh Nebraska originally and moving to uh, Michigan probably hadn't hardly ever seen or hunted around so many trees in your life or 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 let's say had to appreciate uh the power of sunlight reaching the ground but now as as you have managed and, and started to open it back up what do you say to those people who are apprehensive or nervous about going forward with a timber harvest who have goals of increasing uh their property value for wildlife
2: You don't need trees to kill deer or to even hold deer. Yeah, I like it. I mean, you really don't. I I had a lot of my neighbors here who were were asking me, well, tell me, that used to be so beautiful over there. Well, it might be appealing to the eye for us, but it serves no purpose for anything else. Right. And I'm not managing for timber. Right. I've got a few spots on the farm that, you know, do have that park-like setting, and those Mm -hmm. are mostly oaks and those might be managed just slightly differently. Sure. But otherwise I I can I have no problem also hunting off the ground. Like tucking right. into a thicket with a bow. Yep. Th- that's fun for me and I enjoy doing that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And
2: if I can hold more deer and have grow bigger deer, I'm all about that.
1: Definitely. So you know, as as you look at the property in the next five years, um what are some of the other management techniques we haven't even talked about food plots honestly at, at all on this this podcast um you had those prior to us being there um and, and you've done some work in and around food plots edge feathering um but but as you move forward in the next five years what are the kind of stuff that you're going to be keen in on management wise
2: really tr- trying to control the autumn olive the multifloral rose and Oh man, I'm, I do have some switchgrass on the property. That's mm-hmm. a monoculture and it's just way too thick. I want to dial that back right? and get more. If I have to plant some forbs and native grasses, I will.
1: Sure. Or dormant um, dormant season disking as a potential to increase yep. forbs back in there.
2: But I mean, everything needs to take place in a process and those. That's right. First thing was, you know, talking to you guys, getting a plan together. Then the next step was getting the timber crew in here and now are the select cutting crew. Now I need to get the pulp crew in here so I can do even more stuff. And yeah, there's this. Yeah, I don't even know where I was going with
1: that. <laughs> there's, just, there's just so much to do. But, but you do have a plan on, on moving forward. and um, Basically, it, it sounds like to me it's just opening up the canopy and letting letting nature run its course um in the area what are some of the species i guess that have come back um when when you say okay i i cut this area and this little place that gets sunlight shines what's coming back in there because it's so hard for a lot of people to imagine let's say those listening in michigan or you know a similar area wisconsin new york pennsylvania um what are some of those species that don't pop back automatically?
2: Sassafras. Sassafras like, gets there. <laughs> it goes off like wildfire. Right, uh, right. Fire. Um, oaks are slow sure. for me. You'll, you'll find them tucked away in little spots that come back. Otherwise, it's grasses and briars and some different stuff. I'm not real familiar with all the names of everything. But, sure. Um, the maples seem to go pretty quick and the beech.
1: Yep when when you started when you did the first burn, um, what time of the year was that and how quickly did it begin to green up?
2: Um, we burned in May, I want to say mm-hmm. and it was maybe a week or two and everything just started exploding
1: right. The right amount of soil temperature, right you had full sun to these areas or, or mostly full sun. And it took off like a rocket. How quickly, because, you know, when you look at, when you look at the south versus the north in, in your region, you're burning May down south. It's like now in February. And then they start to green up in early March. Um, you're, you're still in snow at, at early March time frame. So the growing season is so much shorter. But how quickly did it take for that vegetation to get back to a foot, two foot tall?
2: Um, probably mid-summer. It was right back to, it was like head height,
1: head height. Yeah. And and, and the, that's a short growing season and you already got back that fast.
2: Yeah. And that's a lot of, that was the area that was choked full of briars and other stuff, but it wasn't as, as thick as it was before. Sure. Sure. Um, other areas that I burned was a lot more sandy soil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite it's not that thick it didn't respond like that but it's also not as open as that other area sure sure was
1: fantastic what what do you say to the guy who's in your shoes and in michigan um what kind of encouragement can you give him who, who has a similar mindset of i want to shoot good quality deer what do you, what do you say to him and what's your best advice well,
2: um, being part of the co-op up here is, is mm-hmm. fun and getting different at talking to different guys with the same mindset as you, getting new ideas and kind of encouraging you and also showing that it can happen around here. Certainly. But the for guys in Michigan, for habitat wise, just you got to start somewhere, try it and learn as much as you can. Try not to. Overhunt your property. Be sneaky. Hunt certain winds, certain ways. Don't hunt the same stand all the time. I mean, there's a lot, all those common stuff that everybody knows. Sure,
1: they they know, yet they don't practice. But if you've you've practiced it and put it into place, and it's and it's been rewarding, you, you you've had it you've had it pay off for yourself. So there's a lot of merit to that. Um,
2: have but you, I, realize, I realize not everybody's as, as obsessive about okay, well, I hunted that stand. I can't hunt it again. Or I can only hunt that stand once or twice a year. And just jumping around and catching deer off guard. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm almost anal over it. I won't even let my wife walk out by the barn during hunting season. (laughs) I get upset about that. But if I, if I go walking through the property, if I take a wrong direction and blow the deer out of here, they're gone for days.
1: Yeah. I mean, just because they don't feel
2: safe. Yeah, sure. So it's just, that's why I want to continue to make it as thick as I can and keep hunting it smart and see what happens.
1: Absolutely. So you have a a really well-developed road system, like you said, there on the property. Um, and so do you find yourself hunting out to in, you know, hunting the fringes, observing, observing, then getting in there and kind of striking and getting right back out? How have you approached that?
2: Yeah, I there's a few areas that have like a pie shaped mm-hmm. road system that I'm going to be changing. Cause it drives me nuts. It's just wasted land at that point. Nothing's going to really? bed there. You're just, it's just a work a worthless spot. Mm-hmm. I want to move some of my trails to the border where I can, but yeah, I hunt the outside, like you said, and then figure out where they're moving, go in when the time's right and then get out of there. I'll go in one way and I'll walk out another way. Perfect. Oh, always keep the wind at your advantage moving around your property.
1: Definitely. And and that's super key on, on smaller size property and parcels. It's that, the 40, the 80. Um, if you're not hunting and treating that thing like a, the whole thing, like a sanctuary, it's going to be very difficult to hunt from beginning of the season to the end of season and having a lot of interactions unless you've got just crazy, crazy good cover. Um, but those, those properties are very tough to find. Um, mm-hmm. so you, you know, <laughs> Those with with poor access, some of some of the best things that you can do, even prior to getting in and doing a lot of habitat work, is just improving access. Uh, whether it's another entry way in or, or pushing roads out to the boundary, like you talked about, um, just improving that can really increase the effectiveness of of hunting. Then when you do the habitat management side of things, it really really pulls it all together and makes a property hunt way bigger, way bigger.
2: Yep. Absolutely.
1: Well, fantastic, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast here and uh, chatting about harvesting a Michigan giant. I mean, that, that truly is is a fantastic deer. You were sending me photo updates and, and kind of some hunt updates throughout this this past season. And uh, obviously extremely happy that you're able to uh, put a tag on him and, and get him down. But, I mean, that it, it's hope for, for anybody um, to be able to get out there, do the same thing devote time and energy into one learning and then implementing what you've learned on a property and having it pay off that that's huge Uh, a lot of you know I would say misconceptions there about the potential uh, of whitetail hunting potential of deer in Michigan but man I'm I'm very hopeful that next few years things are gonna things are gonna change and continue to develop age structure wise there in the state and I don't think that this is going to be your only big deer encounter or opportunity. I, I think you guys are doing, as a co-op in your general region, a lot of really good things. And uh, a lot of it just comes down to education. And uh, I think you guys, as a co-op, are certainly devoted to that. And I tip my hat to to you guys for for that.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's been fun and, and, like you said, rewarding. Just a long road ahead. That's and it it, it, does, it does get discouraging it really does i'm sure it can and everybody's got to keep their heads up around here and
1: yeah you
2: know Ab- we, don't absolutely. Need to, we don't need to shoot two bucks every year nope i'm i'm okay with you know not shooting a buck every year i sure. can go a few years without it
1: sure sure especially when when you know that there's the potential out there to to grow these things um yeah, and right. we've
2: got, dough. We, we shoot a lot of dough off this property. Right. Yep. So. Yep.
1: A, lot of, a lot of meat to go around. Yes. Well, Jason, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, for coming on and uh, sharing your story, your insight. And um, I hope next year is going to be just as good for you guys and, and your kids. I know you've got uh, – um, the boys who probably have some itchy trigger fingers and they're only going to get even more itchy in the next few years. So they're certainly getting into the prime time age for, for killing some deer.
2: Oh yeah. That's all they talk about and we <laughs> watch hunting, hunting shows and Jackson shot his first buck this year and shot a few doe.
1: That's awesome.
2: That's all they want to do, man.
1: Oh, love it, love it. Love it. Well, good stuff, man. Well, you guys have a, uh, a great happy new year and we will chat with you later.
2: Sounds good. Thank you much.
1: Well, there you have it, guys. What a fantastic interview there with Jason out of uh, West Central Michigan. A lot of really important things to, to kind of draw back to um, that he mentioned there on the podcast. And and I think the, the first portion is definitely the aspect of what was thought of as cover, the potential of that farm um, at the time of purchase and then coming back and realizing I need to make it better and, and not only just make it better in a couple areas, but really address the whole farm, bringing in the forestry crew, um, readdressing basically old clear cuts, burning them, resetting them. Every time or every year that something's not done, let's say to the habitat or has a plan or is, is working, most likely and in most cases is going to um degrade, let's say the overall habitat and so uh, a lot of the practices that he was doing were were spot on and uh fantastic we're glad to glad to be a part of um that overall property and the development of it um invasive species removal is another big thing guys you know we we talk about it a lot it's not uh it's not the fun or the cool things to do it's back breaking it's exhausting it's time consuming but how important is that um to the overall development of the property he, he just mentioned briefly there going back in and reseeding in grasses and forbs, and, and just the reaction, the, the usage of those acres has drastically changed on that property. And so he's a living proof, living example, a work in progress, let's say, of all the things that we're talking about. Um, and then on top of that goes and kills a very, very, it doesn't matter where you're at, that deer uh, would be a prized prized animal um, to be able to take. But that's just goes to show, okay, Actively managing, putting in cover, um, managing natives, improving the property, hunting smart, even in pressured areas, um, you can get it done. There is a plan. You have to be um, you know, definitive on what you're doing. You have to be decisive, and you have to be able to get out there and uh, roll up the sleeves, get after it. And uh, no doubt that he is he's doing that and, and living proof. So we appreciate his time. And guys, we appreciate your time for coming and listening to the podcast this week. Guys, it's it, uh, super refreshing to know that tons of people out there passionate, just like Adam and myself, of uh, just wanting to make the land better and uh, tip my hat to you guys and girls out there wanting to to do it and just taking as much information as you can. So thanks for coming this week to the podcast, listening. Please share with anybody um, that you may know that needs help. Um, doesn't matter if you're in Michigan or Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Indiana. does not matter where you're at. We go all over, and uh, we'll be happy to help you on your property as well. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram, YouTube or find us at our website www.landlegacy.tv. We've got a consultation tab if you're interested, click on that, send us an email through the website and we will be back in touch with you. Guys, thanks again so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Yeah.